Take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Charlene and I started dating as poor college students at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago in February of 1979. February 10th, 1979 was our first official date. If you were around, if you're old enough, you'll remember that in February of 1979, the city of Chicago and the suburbs were still digging out from the blizzard of 79 that dumped 23 inches of snow on this area. If you'll recall, in fact, it it shocked me that the mayor of Chicago at the time was Mayor Michael Belandic, and he lost the primary because of the way he mismanaged snow removal. And I always thought that was an interesting reality. There were other things in his administration, but that was the one that kind of stood out. From the very beginning in our relationship, something was very obvious. I sometimes have a keen grasp of the obvious, and uh, it was obvious that I'm a bit taller than Charlene. And so when uh, we would walk, we had to walk at a pace that would kind of match. And I tend to walk briskly and to take long strides. And we're walking, literally walking through Chicago. Sometimes the sidewalk was about two feet of cleared snow with drifts up above. And so we would have to walk single file sometimes. And as the relationship developed, we would hold hands, which is about all we could do at the Moody Bible Institute. And uh, if you're holding hands with someone, you don't want to be the one dragging somebody along, and you don't want to be the one being dragged along. So adjustments had to be made. I had to learn to adjust my stride and my pace so that we could keep in step with one another. And so when we would have to go single file, we had to adjust so that we could catch up and keep in step. Sometimes we had this little fun thing that we'd do. Not only would we want to keep in step with one another, we wanted to literally be in perfect stride. So we'd be walking along and one of us would do that little skip so that now we're doing right, left together and skip again and, you know, so that we just got together. It kind of became our fun thing. After the snow melted and we're walking around what's called the River North neighborhood and sometimes we'd be at the Loop and sometimes on Rush Street or Michigan Avenue, sometimes the sidewalks were full and we would find we would have to adjust, but we would work to always get back in step. It's coming up now on 45 years that we've been dating and we have discovered for the most part that walking in step is almost natural now. Oh, I know when we go out on our walk, sometimes after Charlene gets home from work, she'll say, can you slow down just a little bit? I reflected on that. All week long, I've been reflecting on that because, listen, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to get some, we're going to get a running start, but I want you to really, in the next moment, we're going to bring the whole focus down to Galatians 5, 24, 25, and 26. But to get that, let's jump in at verse 13. Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, 
But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Keep in step with the Spirit. What a great word picture. What a great word picture to think about, keeping in step with another person. When you keep in step with someone, you can talk together much more readily. When you keep in step with someone, you're going in the same direction. When you keep in step with someone, there's connection. The last three verses of chapter 5 drive home, I think, a key principle that that kind of pulls all this together in in a package. And I think if I were to say it in just one sentence, it's this. Paul is saying, as a follower of Jesus, the motivation for the choices I make should be fundamentally different than the prevailing culture. Paul is saying to the Galatians, you need to be different than the culture you live in. There needs to be a fundamental difference. When I keep in step with the Spirit, there is a fundamental difference for the decisions I make, for the way I live. As a follower of Jesus, the motivation for the choices I make should be fundamentally different than the prevailing culture. A.W. Tozer was part of an organization called the Christian and Missionary Alliance Fellowship of Churches. He actually lived in the Chicago area in the, in the middle 1950s and early 60s. He once preached a sermon entitled Paths to Power. And his, his, his challenge was to what he called weak churches. And he made this statement. And when I read it, it, it was one of those penetrating statements. The average professed Christian lives a life so worldly and careless that it is difficult to, dis- to distinguish them from the unconverted person. The average professed Christian lives a life so worldly and careless that it is difficult to distinguish them from the unconverted person. A question 
that we each need to ask on a regular basis is this. What does the way I live my life in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my community, in my online presence, in my church, tell others about my relationship with God and my priorities. Paul says, you're free. But don't use your freedom to indulge yourself. Serve one another. Paul says, walk by the Spirit in the passage I just read. That means conduct my life in a way that is reflective of the Spirit in me. Paul reminds us that we reflect the Spirit in us and we have control over our urges and our passions that are self-indulgent and self-centered. See, there's, there is this understanding, somebody who's a follower of Jesus, we know there's a struggle with that which is right and wrong. We know that there's a struggle with sin. It's part of the, the battle of being a Christ follower. We all struggle to some degree with sin. That's part of what's called the already, not yet existence. We already, if we have asked Jesus Christ to come in our life, we put our faith in him, we believe he died on the cross for our sins, we already have all of the blessings that God promises in that relationship, but we do not yet experience all of them because we are still living in this broken world, in this broken body. It's an already not yet existence. But we're to be cultivating If the fruit of the Spirit, or since the fruit of the Spirit, or the nine things we have dug into over the last nine weeks, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then we ought to be cultivating that in our lives. And so in summary, Paul gives us in these three verses three major areas of life that are impacted as we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we're going to look at our desires, our choices, and our interactions. And the first thing that Paul says here is, he goes, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My relationship with Jesus should have an impact on my desires. This verse, Galatians 5.24, is reflective of another declaration he makes a little bit earlier. We've looked at it before. It's Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, in the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A couple things. When you see the term flesh. Think sinful nature. There was a, in about the second century, there was this thought process that came along that was called Gnosticism, and the idea was the body is vile and only the spirit is good, and since the body is vile, I can do whatever I want with the body because it's going to, and that's not what Paul's saying. This is not that. He's saying, think about the sinful nature. The sinful nature is the part of me that's mainly for me. It's mainly for the self. The sinful nature is the part of me that thinks about only what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I want life to go my way. I want to do things my way. I want everything to be for me. 
You know, our kids and us, we used to listen to a little radio show called, put out by World Vision called Jungle Jam and Friends. And uh, one of my favorite characters was Gruffy Bear, and that was his voice. It was Gruffy. Dum, 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 dum. And one day, Gruffy Bear comes into the jungle, and he says, this is a great story from, uh, this is a great day for a story about me. And somebody else comes in and goes, oh, this is a great day for a story about me. And I think sometimes when we're struggling with the flesh, life is Today is a great day for a story about me. And when the day is a great day for a story about me, then I'm not thinking about you. This is the part of me who wants to have some sort of assurance that I'm okay with God, but not so into God that it has to make a difference in the way I live. Sometimes, that's what I call... A practical atheist. A practical atheist is somebody that says, I am good with God as long as God doesn't interfere with me. I am good with God as long as God doesn't make me do what I want, make me not do what I want to do. But the reality is, Paul says, we're to, we, if we belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh. We just celebrated communion. The idea of crucifixion is a horrible reality. It was, there is no good form of execution, but this was one of the absolute worst. It was death by slow suffocation. We always talk about the nails in the hands and the feet. But the purpose of those was to keep the, the uh, person on the cross. But the idea when you're stretched out like this, you, you have trouble breathing. And so you would push down and push up and you would almost physically inhale and exhale. Which is why when those two thieves on either side were still alive, they broke their legs because it sped up the dying process. What a horrible reality. And everybody in the first century knew about that horrible reality. And when Jesus said in Luke 9.23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me, everybody knew what that meant. That word picture in the first century was a word picture that you knew exactly what was going on. Because when an individual was carrying their own cross, they were carrying their cross to their own execution. You and I take up our cross every day in order to die, not to physically die, but to die to self. That's the point Jesus is making. That's the point Paul is making. Remember a couple weeks ago we said, when you say yes to something, you say no to something else? Well, when you and I say yes to Jesus, we are saying no, as Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, we're saying no to ungodliness. I say yes to Jesus, I say no to selfishness. I say yes to Jesus, and I say no to self-indulgence. I say yes to Jesus, and I say yes to the deep freedom in my soul that comes from knowing him, that comes to know that I am not bound by sin, that I can say no to sin. I say yes to serving others. I say yes to loving my neighbors myself. Paul says, 
Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me. That reality should impact my desires. I walk by. I, in this passage I read, we talked to, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. He says, live by the Spirit. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. And so we stay in connection with Him. That's what it means to walk with Him. We, we're connected. My relationship with Jesus should have an impact on my desires. What do you think about? What do I think about very first on a given morning? What's, you know, I'll tell you my routine. When I get up, I wake up my brain. You know what I do? I do the wordle. It's kind of my little brain wake up thing, you know, and uh, then I'll sit, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly working my way through some, I don't even know how long ago it was, I started in Genesis. Now, I, I will confess to you right now, I have yet in my entire human existence to read through the Bible in one year. And here's why. I get stuck. I start reading, I, I, I stop. I, I, there's times I've spent like a week just on one passage. I just can't speed read it. It's just me. If you do it, praise God. It's not me, but I'm, I am in First Chronicles now. I started a long time ago in Genesis. I read the genealogies. I kind of sped read them, I'll be honest. But every now and then there was a nugget there that, oh, that's interesting. What do you and I think about first on a given day? Do you know what they say, and I found it to be true, what you're thinking about when you go to sleep is what you're typically thinking about when you wake up? What do you think about first? How many times in this past week have I complained about not being treated fairly? How do I respond to God when it is clear that his answer to my prayer is no? Some of you are old enough to remember this little thing that we had. That No, we didn't have it because it had the word magic in it, and I'm a pastor's kid, but my neighbor had it. It was called the Magic 8-Ball. Do you remember? Some of you remember the Magic 8-Ball. The Magic 8-Ball was this black ball, just like a, an 8-Ball on a pool table, and it had a little window at the bottom, and you would ask it a question, and then you would shake it and turn it over, and the answer would come up. And the answer might say, seems likely, or unlikely. And all, there were like nine, I think there were like 12, maybe 16 different answers, I don't know. But, but here's the thing we did with the Magic 8-Ball. If we didn't like the answer to our question, we would just shake it again until we got the answer we liked. And some of us do that with prayer. Some of us say, oh, God, this is what I want. And God says, no, not right now. Oh, God, this is what I want. No, wait. I'm just going to make it happen because I know God wants me to do that. How do I respond when I know the answer to that prayer is no? Am I willing to trust God with his no? Don't hear me saying Please don't hear me say that we all ought to be just poverty-stricken and destitute in order to know Jesus. That's not the point. But we all ought to take time on a regular basis to zoom out on our life 
and our lifestyle choices and ask a simple question. How am I representing God and the principle to love my neighbor as myself and not indulge my flesh? We have choices every day. I get it. Most days when we most, you know, there was a, there's a, I think they might be in our library still, a, a series of books, stories called Living Life in Lower Mundane. Life is routine. You get up, you get ready for the day, you go to work, you come home, you do a few chores, you go to bed. I mean, it's sometimes life can, but you know what? We can glorify God in the mundane. We have choices every day, and Jesus said maybe the first choice that we need to make is to to deny ourselves daily. And I think when we do that, that encompasses the second area of life that's impacted in this closing statement in Galatians 5. Paul first says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My relationship with Christ should have an impact on my desires. But then he goes on. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. My daily choices should reflect the reality of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's the phrase that just got me to thinking. That's the phrase that made me think 45 years ago. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It is so important that we each remember that God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is with us right now. I cannot fully explain it. I can only remind you what Jesus said. And what Jesus said in John 14, 17 is that he was sending the Spirit who would be with them, talking about the disciples, but ultimately applying to all of us, because he was in them the holy spirit is in he indwells those of us who put our faith in jesus now that reality does not make us some kind of a robotic android we're still human beings we're still created in the image of god we're still seeking that faith relationship with god but paul says since we live by the spirit Let us keep in step with the Spirit. To keep in step means to follow directly in the steps set by the Spirit. One day I went home to my parents' house and I was rummaging through one of the bookshelves and I found the devotional that my parents read to me the night I prayed to receive Jesus. And I went and found the story, and I laughed because it really wasn't a salvation story. But, you know, it was a story about a little boy and his dad who went fishing, and it had rained the night before. And his dad said, son, as long as you put your feet in the, in the, the, the marks that I make along the way, we're going to be fine. And the little boy decided, like any of us as little boys would decide, I have a better way. And he ended up slipping and sliding into the mud and getting all dirty. And I thought about that when I read that, following directly in the steps set by the Spirit. When the Spirit is leading and I am connected and I'm staying in step, I'm following directly, we're going single file, let's follow the leader, and I'm not the leader, my life is, is okay. It's not, I mean, I'm, I'm not 
by any stretch of the imagination wealthy, but I'm content, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with what God's given me. Following the Spirit, it's, it's relationship. It's not, we're not bound. Paul says, from the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law that binds these things. He says, we're free from the law. You and I aren't bound by some set of rules made by someone who thinks they're more spiritual and connects us to those rules. That was part of the Galatian problem. The Galatian problem was, we want to go back to the rules. We want to go back to all the legalism. Paul said, no, you're free from that. Follow the Spirit. How the Spirit leads me is going to be different than how the Spirit leads you in some respects because you are made, created, gifted, have abilities that are different than mine. The writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says, let us run the race that is set before us. God has a different race for you than he has for me, but I still follow the same Spirit in the race that he has for me. Follow the Spirit. There's a balance in following and keeping step with the Spirit. And I think the late Dr. Warren Wiersbe said it best. Listen to this. He said, it is possible for the old nature to counterfeit some of the fruit of the Spirit. But the flesh can never produce the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the difference. When the Spirit produces fruit, God gets the glory and the Christian is not conscious of their spirituality. But when the flesh is at work, the person is inwardly proud of themselves and pleased when others compliment them. It's like growing taller. You know, when you're a kid and you were growing and you were growing taller, you didn't always notice it. And then you meet someone, they go, whoa, you've grown. My grandpa in Kentucky had a pool table upstairs. He lived with my aunt and uncle, and they, were a little, they had a pool table in there upstairs. And the summer that I was uh, uh, 12, I went, and I thought that was a huge pool table. Well, I grew about four inches the next year. And I go up there when I'm 13, and I'm thinking... I went down and asked my aunt, did you guys get a different pool table? No, this is the same one we've always had. I said, well, it it looks smaller. Well, maybe it's because you grew up. That's the way it is with our spirituality. You don't look in the mirror and go, boy, I'm getting more spiritual today than I was yesterday. You know, I hope you don't have a a coffee cup that says, I I was so spiritual, I was so spiritual yesterday, but today I'm going to be more spiritual. You know, no, it's one of those things that it's just kind of natural. But if you're worried about somebody didn't notice me, somebody didn't compliment me, I, I did all this work and nobody said thank you, then you're kind of being trying to produce the fruit on your own. How do you keep step? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, some of the standard answers still apply. Yes, it's important to make God's Word part of our routine. It's important to communicate to God through prayer. And that doesn't mean just talking and telling Him stuff. Learning to listen. We need to be engaged in worship, both in in a time like this, but also knowing that our lives are worshiped to God. When you go to work tomorrow and you do your best, or you go to school tomorrow when you're in the, and you're just doing your best, you're living your worship. 
We worship daily by giving ourselves to God. And we do it in community. Too often we talk about individual effort. There is some individual effort. But in this sense, Paul is using plural pronouns. In fact, I would say throughout the New Testament, the emphasis is in the community, the faith community. We grow together in community. I was in a seminar just Friday led by a, a, one of the folks at, at Meyer Clinics talking about how we heal emotionally best in community. We heal from because when we're in community and we're talking with one another and we feel safe to open up, it's like, oh, you went through that? One of the things I did, I don't think it was brilliant for me. I think somebody suggested I got the parents of high school students together with the parents of first-time middle school students. And I said, can you guys just encourage these guys? Can you encourage these folks? This is brand new for them. And one of our gals said, it'll get better, trust me. You know, it's, it's, you, know you need to know that it's, it's a challenge, but you're going to be okay. You're going to get through it. You know, watching my son when he played baseball, looking around and seeing all the other kids playing baseball, and I went, oh, He's normal. Okay, this is great. So he acts just like they do. This is like little boys act. Okay, I get it now. We need community. If you know that I went through anger issues, which I did and still struggle with, then it makes you say, oh, can I talk to you about that? Because all of a sudden there's safety. You understand. We need community. We heal best. We learn to keep in step with the Spirit in community. I know I'm repeating myself, but I remember, I, I still, to this day, remember good old Roy Dillard. He had to be 92 years old when I was 14, if he was a day. As a 14-year-old kid listening to this man pray, I was blown away. And I've told you this, he cleared his throat in the middle of his prayer, and he then said, excuse me, Father. And I'm a 14-year-old kid, and I'm going, he was polite to God. Well, why shouldn't he be? Excuse me, Father. Wow, there was relationship there. There was connection. I wouldn't have learned that if I wasn't in community. Connection is so vital. You know, we could have spent a lot of money last week. We could have spent a lot of money and hired somebody to come in and just remove all these pews. We wouldn't have been sore on Monday night or on Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning or Thursday morning or Friday morning and my soreness finally went away yesterday. But we would have missed something. We would have missed connection. There was connection. For those of us who were there, there was connection as we worked together and we were a team. And for those of you who were getting the emails, there was connections. You were saying, hey, I, I can pray for you. I can't make it, but man, I'm so excited for what you're doing. There was connection. We build relationship. We build a framework as we help one another, as we keep in step with the Spirit. We become safe. We learn from one another's stories. We become a community. And we start to like the community. And we say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come and be a part of our community? I just heard this week a big study, a meta study done on called the de-churching of America. In the past 25 years, the largest movement of Christians has happened 
in the United States, and it's not a positive movement, 40 million people, that's more than accepted Christ during the Graham Crusades, they said, more than the first and second great awakenings, 40 million people have become de-churched. They've just drifted away from church. Most of them, the vast majority, just kind of like, that's eh, just not part of my routine anymore. But you know what they said in all of their surveys? 80% of those who've drifted away said, oh, I would come back if somebody just invited me. Wow, how hard is that? When we become part of this community and say, I like this community, I, I like these people. Yeah, Pastor Scott's sermons are tolerable. We can get through them and then go to have fellowship time. But, you know, and, and, and you say, well, why don't you, you find that this is, this is a good community. This leads us to our third component. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. My, Paul, I would summarize it this way. My interpersonal interactions should reveal a compassionate heart. This last phrase kind of reflects back on loving my neighbor as myself. It seems evident, though, that Paul is not speaking in general. He's speaking specifically to the house churches in Galatia. And he's saying to them, don't become conceited and provoke and envy each other. You know, we saw this in Rome, in the Romans, our study in Romans, there was tension in the Roman church. When you think church in first century, remember, don't think this group like this. Actually look around and pick about four, five chairs, people around you, and that's, that was about it. Maybe eight to 12, maybe 15 in a bigger group. You're in a group of eight to 15 people. If there's tension... You all feel it. When you're a group of 8 to 15 people, if there's conceit and somebody feels like they're better than the rest, everybody feels it. That was what was happening. Paul said, no, don't become conceited. Don't think that you're better than someone else. When you're, when you're conceited, you envy and you, prov you provoke and you envy each other. When you, we dupe ourselves, like Dr. Wearsby said, into thinking we can produce the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, that's where ego and conceit come in. God is so lucky I'm on his team. I think God made the right choice when he chose me. He drafted me to be on his team. God really knew what he was doing when he called me to be his child. That's conceit, if you didn't know it. Conceit always divides. Conceit never draws together. It always divides. And conceit shows itself here, Paul says, in two key ways. It provokes in other words, it challenges. See, when one is conceited, they've deceived themselves into thinking they've made all their own spirituality work. And they wrongly challenge others not to be better, but to be as good as they are. That's not what God wants. We're to make one another better. What's the proverb say? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When you and I come together, we are to sharpen each other, to make each other better. Secondly, Paul says it produces envy. It's not a jealousy, but it's, it's an ill will. It's a malice. You know, when, when I'm with someone who thinks or who acts like they're spiritually superior to, to me, I, I don't want to be part of that interaction. I kind of want to back away. I kind of walk away with like, you know, maybe there's a skunk in the neighborhood. Oh, that just is bad. I don't want to be a part of that. 
And others look at someone who's conceited with a sense of ill will. I hope they get theirs. I, you know, and all of a sudden we're not loving. We're waiting for them to, to get whatever's coming to them. That is not church. That is not faith community. Uh, in fact, we're not going to go into detail today, but I would tell you this afternoon, read Galatians 6. That's a good word picture of what the faith community is looking like. I'll summarize. The community of faith is a healing and restoring community. The community of faith is a supportive community, and yet the members know how to take responsibility for themselves. The community of faith is a faith is a community that takes care of one another and also looks out beyond the four walls to say, how can I take care of those outside of the faith? The community of faith knows that I'm accountable for God, and I judge my actions that way. People in the community of faith are always looking outside of themselves to what they can do in the larger community. I'm supposed to end a sermon with a really nice illustration. I have been struggling with the end of this one all week long. Because I got to thinking, you know, keeping in step, it's not something we can manufacture. It's relationship. You know, when I'm walking with Charlene, I know when we're keeping in step with one another. I know it. And I wish I could tell you one, two, three, four, five ways you can keep in step with the Spirit this week. But it would become a list of things you have to obey. It would become my list, not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It would become my ideas, not God's Word speaking to you. I think the reality is we just simply stop and humbly say, God, help me. Help me stay in step. Because I am convinced that when I'm not in step with the Spirit, the Spirit quietly lets me know. I've said this before. I was sharing it with a friend this week. Satan condemns. If you're sitting here and you're feeling condemned and you're feeling bad and you're feeling nasty and you're feeling like a loser, that is not our God. Satan condemns. God corrects. God comes along and says, Scott, you know you shouldn't have said that. You need to go make it right with that person. God comes along and says, Scott, you know you need to slow down and you need to relax. You need to let this go. You're holding on and you're making it about you and you need to let it go. The Holy Spirit has a gentle, quiet voice that just speaks to the core of who we are. Keep in step with the Spirit, and you will not indulge the flesh. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this reminder. Help us, Lord. We can't do this on our own. We need you. We need the people you've put into our lives. We need one another right here in this faith community. Teach us what it means to keep in step with you daily. And remind us that when we are, you will let us know. In Jesus' name, amen.